Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we have a brand new listener prompt that we're going to dive into. But before we do, I would like to remind everyone that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click the link, follow some instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on YouTube. So if you're listening to YouTube on the World Build With Us YouTube, hey, hi there. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we're on Twitter at Let's World Build. Uh, if you want to come and talk to us more directly, of course, you can do so in our Discord with a link for that in the description. Or if you're feeling particularly generous and just want to give us some money or get sweet, sweet patron-only goodies, you can go ahead and do so over on our Patreon where you get access to the Aphid Lounge, which is our patron-only podcast, and uh, all sorts of other good stuff. Too Hot for Broadcast, you get the patron-only Discord, uh, you get two episode length instead of just one for your prompt. So if you have an idea that you really want to see fleshed out better, hey, become a patron, toss in your suggestion, we'll do that for you. But with all of that out the way, let's go ahead and dive right into our newest suggestion, our newest prompt which comes from JG, and the prompt is, In this world, souls and memories are tangible commodities. They can be bought, stolen, traded, and sold. Wealthy individuals or organizations might collect rare or desirable memories and souls, creating a class hierarchy based on the possession of these intangibles. Black markets for illicitly obtained memories or souls could thrive. The tenets. Tenant number one, the magic system is based on the seven chakra, a.k.a. the third eye, the, the crown chakra. And we're going to get into that, I'm sure, throughout the uh, world building process. Tenant number two, extracted memories and souls are kept in a physical state. For example, an amulet or a crystal or an orb. Uh, and tenant number three, there must be a magic school. So... Courtney, why don't you kick us off, get us started. What is what is the first tenet that you're bringing to this soul-building world? Yeah, um, I was drawn to the, uh, the idea of wealthy individuals and trading and stuff. So I was thinking that akin to art auctions in the modern world here on Earth, uh, in this world, there is a major auction event that takes place in which the wealthy elite gather to bid on like the most desirable souls of, you know, ancient heroes or or important cultural figures, uh, creators of the past, politicians, what have you. Um, and it's obviously very exclusive, and the souls go for like enormous, disgusting amounts of money or whatever they're traded for, and it's this big event in this world i fucking love that i love so much about that that's such a cool concept that you're running with courtney um because immediately my brain goes to the heist right like you have an ocean's 11 opportunity except you have the souls <laughs> of heroes right like that's so cool yeah yeah one of the things i want to draw attention to as we're talking about souls is that the prompt um it interchanges the word souls and memories, which I think is very telling, at least from mm -hmm. their understanding of what soul is or what they're what they're trying to tell us. Because, you know, when you someone says soul, they think they're like, you know, their immortal essence that 
makes the it transcends the material realm or whatever their identity mm-hmm, and everything mm-hmm. but this prompt is saying to us that that a soul or your identity is your memories and mm-hmm. your history so that's something that i think to keep in mind it's interesting then also as you're suggesting this like crazy auction house sort of deal of, of souls it's like you know a trading in people's memories like in and in history yes. right yeah. so that that colors i think the 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 setting because it's not so much that we're dealing with this you know judeo-christian idealist kind of mm-hmm. view of a soul mm-hmm. it's this this almost like um very material idea that the soul is a recording of your your knowledge mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I, I I agree with that, uh, and I do find the idea that the soul is created and like turned into an object is really interesting because I think what I'm now kind of seeing from like Courtney's like big super rich auction event, I'm just thinking about like a lot of the repatriation stuff that's happening with like the British Museum and stuff like that right now, and mm-hmm. I'm imagining that like that has got to be part of like the history of this particular world is like who claims ownership of this particular hero's soul, right? Or like this particular uh, activist's soul or something like that, right? Like all of that is very interesting because you can say a lot about like, uh, you know, the imperialist nature of kind of like art theft. And and I mean, we're literally dealing with soul stuff and memories here. So yeah, there, there's there's just a lot that we can kind of do when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, like with the British Museum, What's going on there is, you know, they've taken and accrued so much over the years and are um, reluctant to <laughs> return things yes. to their to their home countries. And it's basically robbing those countries of their own culture and history. And yes. And in this case, it would be like robbing them of their literal memory of their yeah. own history. Like yeah. Literal, literal, figures, literal yeah. actual memory. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so. I feel like I want to piggyback off of this one because one of my tenets also deals with this idea of like the soul as commodity, the soul as good, because I feel like I recognize part of this prompt in other settings that we've built previously. Like I know that we've like yeah. done some stuff that's very similar to this before. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so in order to ensure that we do something that is slightly different, my tenet, my first tenet is once the soul or memory has been forged into an item, it loses any kind of like essence or magical properties that made it what it once was. So for example, like you wouldn't have like the ability to replay a memory or like relive moments in someone's life or soul with these objects. They literally become inanimate objects that no longer hold like magical or arcane or mystical power whatever power that they have is entirely tangible and it is cultural in importance. So can you expand more? So are you saying that the object just becomes an art object that has no actual powers? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, <clears throat> that is kind of what I was thinking because I, I like the idea that what happens when you do this process, like removes the kind of like essence or magic of the thing so it becomes a lot more, uh, uh, not deadly, but like it, it becomes more about the destruction of that. And so when we talk about like literally destroying the soul of a thing or a, a, a person, 
it is it is not literal. And mind you, like when we do that with memories and whatnot, I'm not going to suggest that we sit here and like we lose people to memories or we lose like the hero that once was like it's more about, you know, just turning that intangible into something tangible and it is immutable once it's in that state. Now, obviously, I would I would imagine that there are ways that we can like mess with that later down the road. But for for the base level, that's kind of my uh, tenant. It, it reminds me um, of a movie called Cold Souls, um, with I think it's Paul Giamatti, maybe, where their souls, it wasn't their souls, but it was like their identities were literally converted into these uh, mundane objects. Mm. And there's like a psychologist involved in the movie. It's a very weird, quirky movie, but it, it, the object ended up expressing how the person was in their life. Ooh. So oftentimes, I think like there's, there'll be like a green pebble or something really pathetic sometimes if you really accomplish nothing. But then it's like if you were like exuberant or personality, the object would be more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be something to, to work with with that. Um, so I was curious, like, how do you know if they're actual soul objects then as opposed to just a random you know gold necklace that somebody made like what what defines that i mean i i think one that's kind of like the fun of it a little bit is that you can have like forgeries and stuff like that but too like when, when you were talking about the auction and stuff like that i was imagining that like because initially I was thinking, well, like you're using raw materials, but now I'm kind of thinking like maybe they manifest as literal art objects, you know? So it's like you can have replications of like the Mona Lisa, but we all know which one is the real one, even though it might be a forgery, right? Like I, I think that there is something unique and specific to that object that is like, oh, that is so specific to that person and individual. Although I think that there's a lot to be said about like a hero or someone who has a very plain or replicatable or replicable duplicatable. I don't know. Words are hard, but something that can be reproduced over and over again. Right. Like, so if you have like the queen's soul and it just so happens to be like a pearl, then it's like, Oh yeah. Like you don't know which one's actually going to be the queen's soul or something like that. I I'm, I'm just tossing stuff out there. I I'm, I'm not entirely sure how to answer that question. I think what Courtney might be hinting at too is the possibility of forgery, which I think would be interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm all down for forgery. Well, like, yeah, forgery, but also just like, yeah, wondering what would the giveaway be for mm-hmm. like the real, mm-hmm. like with art, you know, with the Mona Lisa, we know it's Da Vinci because of like the way that he did his painting, the colors mm-hmm. that he used, the style, mm-hmm. the way that the paint was applied like the the sketches underneath, you know, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering like what um what about the soul objects is clearly like yes, that is a soul object. Mm-hmm. Like I've studied this stuff. Like is it an, an aura, a magical aura that it gives off? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it something about the object itself? Like it's so perfect that it couldn't possibly be forged by a person, you know? I may have an answer for you, Courtney. In the form of your tenant, Daniel? Yes, I do, yes. Oh, man, look at that segue. Let's go. Let's hear it, Daniel. Well, in in reading about chakras, um, you know, just generally, your general Wikipedia research, which we do in 2024, the age of TikTok, (laughs) uh, one of the things that I've stumbled upon, which I've also liked and liked reading about separately, um, is Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophists um oh yes oh my god yes okay she was um a late 19th century early 20th century character 
who puts about that time period, I think, um, who kind of put together a school that uh, was interested in basically West. It's like Western esoteric stuff, like occultism. Um, mm-hmm. She's kind of a charlatan and a lunatic. But the idea uh, with the with my prompt is that um, there's this school of theosophists or psychics, in particular who I originally wrote, collect the soul stuff or memories in order to reveal an underlying truth behind all religions, like mm. a giant metaphysical puzzle. Um, but I think what would be interesting here is if they are, in a sense, those art, um, what do you call it, forensic types, like that mm-hmm. you would normally have, like for regular art, like looking at all the aspects of mm. how a piece is constructed. And I bet that maybe that's their profession, right? But there is a secret school to meet the prompts requirement where they're where they're um, training, they're secretly training to collect certain pieces because they believe that they're part of a larger whole. These souls uh, that reveal something mm-hmm. about the world, um, and so like they they have a vested interest to really make sure these pieces mm-hmm. are actual soul stuff. But I'm sure they're also schemers because, like you were saying, Courtney, like certain museums don't want to let go of their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. So, art holders don't want to look at their stuff so maybe they like lie to buy certain ones cheaper you know um maybe they they create forgeries i just i picture them as mm-hmm. being not exactly scrupulous and also led <laughs> by a blavatsky sort of figure yeah i could see them like potentially flooding the market to lower the prices of certain types of souls or yeah. like mm-hmm. misidentifying on purpose of like oh this actually isn't this old hero's soul it's just some like rando that you might have heard of once in history class i'll, I'll take it off your hands for, for pretty cheap though you know stuff like that i think it also helps us recontextualize the art auction a little bit more because there if, if there is this school this theosophist school that kind of exists in the background and they're attempting to put together a giant divine puzzle using soul stuff and soul objects as a thing like mm-hmm. I think that that the auction now becomes a lot more significant because obviously if there's one group that exists that believes in the divine puzzle, there's going to be at least one other, right? Like even if there are purely charlatans, like, oh man, there's going to be, because, you know, like Blavatsky birthed schools, like uh, Alistair Crowley was also one of her disciples, I believe. But, like, I think that you see, like, multiple factions surrounding this kind of concept now. I could see a Crowley, like, a student of hers turning against her to create his own, like, faction, you know, that might be interesting. Yes. Okay, if you ever want to fall down a rabbit hole, you should do some reading on Madame Blavatsky. I find her to be such a fascinating historical character. She's so weird, and it's so great. (laughs) I just like Alistair Crowley's triangle hats. Oh, yeah. I mean, oof. Speaking speaking of another a character who you can do like a rabbit hole on, Alistair Crowley is fascinating. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's uh, a lot there, even just oh, wiki articles. Go give it give it a look. Oh oh man, there is there is so so much to both of those characters that like we simply do not have time for. But yes, I agree with you entirely, Courtney. Uh, okay, speaking of Courtney. Let's get back to your second tenet. Hit us with your second tenet. What do you got for us? Um, so I haven't totally fleshed this one out, but basically I wanted to talk about how the souls exist before they're captured. Um, and I'm thinking that they exist in some sort of ghost-like state where they must be harvested or like tempted 
back into the material realm in some way. And I'm not sure if this would be like a a ritual offering that's made by like soul forgers or whatever they are, or if it would be, um, I don't know, something much more like magical where you're whipping up spells to, to drag these souls in the direction mm. that you want. Um, but I, I didn't want to lose sight of the fact that like the souls are somewhere after a person dies, mm. presumably. But basically I'm I'm just picturing that there are souls around at all times. It's just a matter of being able to see or or capture them. So we're we're gonna go ahead and and take proton packs out of the equation right away, right? Like is that are we I mean, are we What's the uh, what's the genre that we're gonna be here? I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. <laughs> this becomes a question of um, what sort of setting are we dealing with and yeah. mood, right? Tone, which is what you're getting at. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you go with the classic fantasy setting, you're gonna end up with like wizards and rituals yeah. and so forth, right? But referencing cold souls, like that was a psychology, like discussion and then a little mm-hmm. procedure which is a modern setting so it's mm-hmm. like we could yes. go many different directions with that you know so i yeah, was joking yeah. about the proton pack but thinking of like madame blavatsky and stuff like that like that is the time period that i'm thinking of and occultism back then was so in vogue and like so like massive i'm also thinking about like spirit photography yeah where like people would literally try and take pictures of the dead in some way and I feel like that's kind of an interesting way because one, that's like a very clear aesthetic that we now nail, right? Like the Madame Blavatsky angle and like the vibe of it feels very much like late 1800s, maybe even early to late 1800s. Like we can kind of look at that kind of pastiche. And I also feel like we don't really have a lot of settings that fit within that kind of aesthetic, you know? Um. I'm now thinking maybe there are multiple ways to do this and it, it is very like practitioner dependent or culture sure. dependent on how they go through with it. Like I do like the idea definitely of like spirit photography. Um, I could also see like basically Ouija boards of sorts being oh, used, yeah, yeah. things like that. And then potentially like more uh, either scientific and or magical things like mm-hmm. proton packs or just whipping up, you know, exorcism spells or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, so I think it could be yeah, yeah, variety. Pretty. And like that would also lend towards like, you know, different groups, different cults have different methods. Mm-hmm. And maybe that also imparts a certain aura or something mm-hmm. on the object that eventually comes about with the soul. Yeah, I love that a lot. It also would inform um, perhaps the quality of the object, right? Like if if I was a very yeah. skilled practitioner and I really wanted to capture the memory of the person, like their, not just their their memories, but their quality, their character, I might have to be very skilled to get that in the shape of the object, right? Mm-hmm. Versus say I'm, you know, the cheap proton pack around the corner Ghostbusters who you pay, mm-hmm. you know, $199 to get it done quick from the corpse before they pass <laughs> away. Right. And then you end up with like mm-hmm. this janky, you know, antique that just doesn't really capture them properly. Oh, man. Yeah. Talk about forgeries. OK, hold on. When we were talking about forgeries previously, we were talking about like faking the item itself. But like, what if you're just doing like a bad forgery of the soul? You know what I mean? Like it, it's like you're not capturing mm-hmm. the essence properly. So you're not getting the full picture. You're not getting 
the proper quality of the thing that you should be getting. So it's like a great value brand, like exactly like fast fashion of souls, basically, Costco, where you're just churning soul. them out. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Then like what happens to souls if they're like only partially brought back or like is is this something where you know if the soul is captured it's like gone forever mm. or does it still linger well that's a good question because i think yeah. you're asking um is the object the soul or is it a representation of the soul like what exactly does the prompt say again let me look it up real quick um one second let me open this up i just want to read it again myself because sure. yeah. i feel like um here we go um so it says they're commodized by soul, clearing class. So, yeah. So the way that it talks about the memory of the soul is that the art object is the soul in a physical state, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So if it's imperfect, you're asking like, if it's imperfect, you know, like, is there like remnants of it that are left over? Is that your question? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, imagine like the agony of that spirit whose yeah. soul is being ripped apart piece by piece rather than whole cloth, right? Like. That is also something that we can kind of take into consideration here as well, you know? Yeah, this this also, like, makes me wonder if originally, you know, far in the past, if this soul capturing or forging or whatever had started as a form of, like, punishment. Like, oh. to, to take from the, the 1999 classic oh, go film, on. The Mummy, just the idea that, like, you know, people might have found these objects or, or learned of this practice and been like, oh, that's a a fascinating way to preserve the dead or something like that. But mm. in reality, maybe it was like an eternal punishment of like, we're not just going to like capture your soul. We're going to like wipe it clean basically by putting it into this mm-hmm. object. You know? oh, okay. First of all, great idea, Courtney. Like really, really cool. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from that is that this phenomenon to our world is fairly new, right? Like that's kind of what that implies is that, you know, the practice itself is ancient, right? But the commodification and using these objects as art or as cultural artifacts, that's like a new thing. So maybe we can see the invention or the use of like technology and like spirit photography as an extension of what is an ancient and inherently magical thing. You know, I'm thinking about uh, Walter Benjamin's art in the age of mechanical reproduction, which basically says that like original art or art in the earlier days is like has an aura about it because it requires so much more effort. It requires you to be able to see the thing in real life. Right. Whereas like modern reproducible art, you can just have a you can just take a picture and anyone can take that picture. And so Benjamin kind of says that it's like a way for us to democratize or socialize art in a way. And obviously that's not necessarily true, but the idea is that you're taking away a lot of the power and the magic and aura of something by turning it into something reproducible and mechanical as a result. Yeah. Um, that makes me think too, when I took a, a class on, it was called technomusicology, but it was basically about like the history of music and sort of the modern era and uh, also like learning how to produce music and stuff. But um, one of the things that we went over was just the democratization of music mm. over time with like recordings and the way that for a long time, the so-called popular composers like Sousa and his kind of marches and stuff were looked down upon as being like uh, 
common music and, you know, not enlightened and just something that anybody could play. And, it, you know, it wasn't true music because it wasn't being played by like a symphony orchestra, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which um, as an aside, it's funny. So sad to see that that always continues with each generation. We look down on things that we don't approve of right away, but, exactly, um, but yeah. just like thinking to that and like the, or they, the, the wax uh, cylinders that were used mm -hmm. to produce music and how maybe that is what's also kind of going on here. Like you have the, those lower quality souls that mm. we're discussing, the, the great value brand ones that are, maybe they're not even like permanently extracted in their physical state, like, like a wax cylinder that can degrade over time and um, wear down. And eventually it's just completely lost. Whereas the, the higher end symphony orchestra style souls, like they are around forever. Um, and I felt like I was going somewhere else with this, but I've, I've <sighs> <laughs> I mean, what you're saying makes me think we are assuming that a soul has to be extracted from someone who's dead mm -hmm. but that doesn't have to yeah. be true necessarily like in yeah, the movie true. i referenced called souls the, the the reason why they extract their souls is to remove their worries and he realizes that this also makes him kind of a dead person mm. and i could see because the prompt says you know wealthy individuals organizations are collecting these things i could imagine people unburdening their memories into these objects you know willingly as opposed to having to get these souls you know as the person's dying like there's nothing in this that prevents us from saying you have to have a soul to be alive especially Ooh, yeah Ooh. you know what i mean that's mm -hmm. that's horrifying daniel and i like that um mm -hmm. yeah i mean one thing i was taken by courtney's idea as well as this idea is of fidelity you know like how perfect is the copy of the soul you know, like, just like how good is the quality, you know, is it like an MP3 or is it flack, you know, like, and, and that like level of capture maybe matters more than it should, or maybe matters a little bit. I don't well, know. Is it a, yeah. is it a copy? Like, that's the other question we have to answer. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, is this a replication or is it an extraction? Cause it says extracted, right? But yeah. that mean you can extract the file and make a copy, right? Does yes. it mean that you're yeah. removing it from one place and embodying it? It sounds like, I think the intent of the prompt is you're removing and embodying. Because if it was copied, mm -hmm. we'd have a whole different situation in our hands, you know, because then the person could still have their soul. Um, but the yeah. question of fidelity, like you guys are talking about, when the when the extraction happens, you know, like, does that, the question is, does, does that mean the perfection that's lost, is it lost forever? I, I think maybe I could answer that with the theosophists. Maybe the theosophists mm -hmm. believe that, um, mm. The process of of embodying souls um, is imperfect, and the collection of all these objects could help them find the lost perfection in the larger mm -hmm. scheme. So, by understanding the total lattice, right, which is their whole mission, maybe then they can recover the imperfection, and that's how they understand the underlying truth. Mm -hmm. I love the idea that theosophists are trying to refine the soul in some way, like that adds this kind of esoteric or like spiritualist kind of sense to it that is like really mystical even in an age where like it feels more mechanical right now you know what i mean yeah it makes me think to like i mean the art historians who basically go into artworks and like touch up things that have faded or cracked over time mm -hmm. um, and how much training that takes to get it accurate and then you also have you know 
random people in random churches painting over old frescoes of Jesus. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I I was literally talking to my wife about that last night. I was like, have you seen monkey Jesus? Because that's what it looked like. That's what the new fresco looks like. Oh man. Yes. But yeah, stuff like that where like there are probably a lot of very legit ones in your group, Daniel, who like are very talented and can, you know, repair and bring things back to their original state more Mm -hmm. or less. But there are also probably really charlatans. Right. Really (laughs) shitty ones. You're like, oh, yeah, I can totally uh, fix that up for you. And then you get it back. And it's like not even the same object that you gave them in the first place. Um, Also brings to mind like. Uh, jpeg artifacting when you share like repeatedly save a jpeg and share it and oh, man. save it over and over again how it just gets like more and more broken Deep down yeah. yep pixelated and blurry and fucked up and i could see that happening too as souls are exchanged or like kind of turned into different things over time that's i love that i really do love that mm-hmm. Cordy. that's that's really good um well If that is the case, I suppose we're moving on to the next tenet, which is me again. Uh, My second tenet was very simple, and it was the magic school is inherently evil. So considering that we Mm. now have a range of magic schools, I'm not sure how to take that. So uh, I I have a potentially I have a second one instead, but I'm I'm not sure if I dig that one nearly as much. But my second alternate was uh, there are four different houses of magic school, each of them being a combination of two chakra. And I know that there's seven. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the point. Yeah. So which of those two do you think works best with what we're working with here right now? When you originally said your first one, it's like, oh, that's like fairly straightforward and simple, but. I could also see it potentially applying to all magic schools if we go in the sort of almost like conspiracy direction of like we have this auction with these really wealthy people bidding on souls. We have these people trying to uh, bring all these souls together to somehow form a bigger picture of what's happening or unlock something potentially or learn something about the universe. And I feel like it could all get into the realm of like you know, the the elites at the top are actually the sort of Illuminati type of group that runs the auction, that controls the schools, that, you know, all mm-hmm. this sort of thing where it's like all tied into the same uh, lizard reptilian group in the background. <laughs> mm. So so we want our big bad to be Sotheby's then is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, got it. We're also talking about the the how we integrate the individual chakras uh, into things because mm-hmm. i feel like uh, we haven't really talked about that but i also wonder if perhaps it's a classification system like souls fit into a chakra or like you're saying more one or more mm-hmm. the, the prompt talks about deriving magic types of magic from each one but mm-hmm. i feel like we've in a sense rejected that because um the items themselves don't do anything they're just they have cultural value now yeah. But I think um, they may have mystical value in that the theosophists are trying to restore something else that they're based on. And that's how the, the chakras classifications mm-hmm. may matter. Like if if this soul has been reduced to uh, like a lump of coal and there's only a little tiny fragment of the actual soul left, 
the theosophist may understand that this is in fact, you know, an eye chakra and he knows the way to restore it, you know? Okay. Uh, Daniel. Yes, absolutely. You, you, I think you've inspired me as you often do, Daniel. Um, but a couple of things, one, the prompt doesn't say that the soul items are inherently magical. It just says that chakras are tied to magic. That's what, and I, what I think. Yeah. 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 Um, so what I think would be really interesting is if the soul is made up of seven parts, right? Each one representing a specific chakra and extraction is how well do those elements blend together? Are they one like whole object or are you extracting it chakra by chakra, which would kind of imply or suggest like poor fidelity or poor extraction method in some way. Wh what do y'all think about that? Cause I feel like that's a way that we can kind of put like craftsmanship into focus when it comes to like the soul extraction and stuff. Um, yeah. Like what, I mean, what I'm saying is that the, uh, the prompt originally says the chakras reveal specific types of magic, but I'm thinking that the souls belong to one or more chakras in the sense that they're categorized that way. So yeah. the craft of fixing them, you know, like theosophists probably specialize in certain types of chakras and maybe the mm -hmm. way that, mm -hmm they're originally created also entails that. Although I don't know if I almost feel like the chakra portion of this might be secretive. Like maybe the option. Yeah. Isn't even really yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a great point. I love that. That is like specific, like, cause now I'm thinking about like esoteric books of like the seven paths or something like that, where each one is revealed to be a different chakra. And like that is esoteric occult knowledge that very right. few people have, you know, are privy to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, if we go in that conspiracy direction, that could even influence the way that the the government and schools are structured. Like maybe there are seven schools that, that you walk the path of or what mm -hmm. have you, or like, I mean, I could see it. If you zoom way out and look at it from a top down view, it does all tie mm -hmm. back into the chakras, which are these secret, like cult esque kind of things. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So, so maybe uh, if, if we want to dive into the conspiracy aspect, maybe the modern schooling is all about teaching the six chakras or maybe even five, right? Like have them be the terrestrial ones, but stuff like the crown chakra, which is often about like spirituality and fulfillment and like, you know, kind of the, the mystical or cosmic, maybe that's the stuff that gets, you know, really isn't taught or like, oh, like integrated yeah. into systems because it's like they're yeah. trying to suppress that aspect within the culture you know yeah yeah i do like that okay we've integrated the chakras we've done it <laughs> we've i wonder it. i wonder if that like secret chakra also has to do with the souls uh losing their their nature basically when they're extracted when they're put into uh -huh. these objects or converted mm. to the objects like maybe that is the missing piece where if that was a part of the process, mm -hmm. then the soul would retain some of it. And maybe that's what this sort of Illuminati group in the background is trying to do is like bring oh. those things back, but they want themselves to be the only ones who know so that they do have that power mm. I to, love that. to make it happen. I yeah. love that. It's like the last, the yeah. seventh chakra is the chakra of perfection. Yes. And so exactly. that's what they're seeking because if they yeah. can have the chakra of perfection, then every broken object can be restored and they can know the total truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Because their extraction methods are imperfect because that last seventh chakra is like damn near impossible 
or like not enough people know about it yet or something like that. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Daniel and Courtney both love that. Love all of that. Mm-hmm. Love what's going on for sure. I also want to bring back the notion of being able to take out your soul while you're alive. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's something that's rarer to do. And I wonder if the theosophists deliberately do that to themselves for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and mm. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because, like, what happens if you take out, like, the heart chakra, right? Like, you take out your love and acceptance, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, you know, I don't need my sensuality. I don't need to be sexy. I don't need to be, like, have creativity. So I take out my sacral chakra or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what does each of those things mean? And what happens? Mm, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot going on there that's really cool. I love that. I mean, other questions that you raised. Um you know, when we've been talking about a chakra as one object from one person, um, which would suggest then that the person is more of one of the seven things than the others, because I guess it gets embodied in that way. So there's options you'd have in designing this as a setting or a story and that, like Rob was saying, you could extract multiple pieces of yourself to make multiple objects, which would be interesting. Or you could say the person as a whole is mostly heart, right? And so mm. when their soul is extracted, they get a heart chakra. Right. So there's a couple of directions to go, which can give you options. Oh, yeah. I mean, like when when you think about like spiritualism that deals with chakras, right? Like you're thinking about what is blocking your chakra from like expansion or opening and stuff like that. And they're often like, you know, material needs or like emotional needs or, or like literally like things that are preventing you from progressing as a human in some way. Right. Like that's usually how it's treated anyway. So the idea that like, yeah, the rich man who only cares about money and wealth, like, yeah, he's got all sorts of chakras that are blocked off because that's all he cares about. And he's not able to achieve that kind of ascendant or like, you know, I think that there's something to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. With like the removing parts of yourself, that does make me think that the theosophists are quote unquote purifying themselves Mm. to go further up in their ranks and at the top are the ones who have removed basically all of it and that mm. potentially gives them some sort of power or maybe they just think it gives them some sort of power yeah. because they've kind of lost their humanity in a way or like and, the latter yeah yeah <laughs> like they they think that they have the ability now to like you know see the universe for what it truly mm-hmm. is but really they've just like ripped out everything that makes them human in the first place right i love that because i like you know, there's a sense i remember the uh is it the church of Thelema, which is crowley's i think is yep. the, yeah. the phrase of this is um do as thou wilt which mm-hmm. to me reads i mean and who the hell knows what it actually means but to me it reads <laughs> is very like ego driven very um almost mm-hmm. like um objectivist fundamentally right mm-hmm. um and it, it's a lot more complicated than that because he's insane but but i mean like <laughs> i could see that being you know a fundamental cause is like the pursuit of perfection there is no higher pursuit and so you would do anything at any cost to understand that truth mm-hmm. and that would mm-hmm. drive them make them very selfish and potentially dangerous in that way yeah fun fact uh, did you know that L. Ron Hubbard met Alistair Crowley and fucking hated him? I actually do know that because I remember, yeah. I, remember <laughs> I don't know what I read, but it was all about um, L. Ron's history and, and Est and all the um, self-help stuff that came before Scientology. But it's very interesting. Okay. I don't have time to get into L. Ron Hubbard and the, the rocket program. We don't have time for that. But man, that's also really interesting. But okay. Yes. Okay. Loving what's happening. I love this idea of like false ascendancy through removing your soul piece by piece. 
That's really cool. I, I love mm -hmm. all of that for sure. Um, so Daniel, I believe you're our final and last tenant. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, the word chakra in some context means wheel. And so um, my prompt is that there is a literal giant wheel involved in the setting of cosmic importance that is being threatened with destruction. Ooh. Oh, I, I, I haven't done this recently or enough, but everyone who's listening to this should go and read Kill Six Billion Demons. It's a webcomic. It's free. You can read all of it. It's phenomenal. But there is a character in that story known as the Wheel Smashing Lord. And I love the idea that like the wheel is an important aspect to this, maybe not in a reincarnation sense, but just in general, like the idea that it, the, a wheel is involved in some way. And I'm thinking of a wheel with like eyes on it for some reason, because that's just where my brain goes. But yeah, that's what I got. Eyes always make it nicer. Yeah. Wheel with eyes just makes me think of biblically accurate angels, but um... also correct. Yes. Yeah. Like I think where I'm going with this is that the uh, the ones who have removed, you know, all those aspects of themselves, they're seeking this wheel. Like maybe it's still undiscovered and they're, they're trying to find it. And that's part of why they've done this in the first place is they think that by removing these pieces, they'll be able to, to see the wheel and access it um, mm. and potentially destroy it or like overpower it, make it theirs. Oh. So it's all about Ooh. like gaining the ultimate amount of control over everything and like literally being able to turn the wheel of fate and time. Yes. Like, you know, mm. like when I, as you say that, one of the things that I was visualizing, and although this was a terrible movie, all of them, um, the, the Doctor Strange films, when he <laughs> travels in this, the astral realm or whatever, I remember there was, there had to been one split second of a scene of an actual like turning of gears in some crazy mechanist realm mm -hmm. and i can see like this physical wheel being enormous and gigantic in some other hidden realm that that is all around us and perhaps you know if they can place all the perfect chakras where they need to be placed they can control the turning of the wheel just like you said i think that would yeah. be super cool and then has metaphysical consequences on the real world even though it is a physical thing in some other realm yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay Remember how we were talking about earlier how these theosophists are trying to create a giant divine puzzle? They're not, it's not about creating the puzzle. It's about creating the piece that will allow them control over the wheel. So like mm -hmm. they're attempting to conglomerate all of these pieces together in this massive like maybe it's literally just a gear or maybe it's literally just a lever. But they're trying to create some kind of divine device that will allow them to control that wheel in some way, Daniel. What is that that philosophical term um, about a fulcrum? Oh, what is it um, that you can move the whole world? Oh, uh, that's that's is that a philosophical thing? I thought that was just the guy who invented the lever. He's like, give me a lever long enough, and I can move the world, right? Right, but it has philosophical implications. I remember my um, philosophy teacher talking about it um, in the sense that if you have the the key to something, you can solve the whole problem, and oftentimes the key is really tiny. But I could see like the application here in that turning the wheel, you know, you just need these little pieces of each person. Mm -hmm. And if you add them all up, you have enough leverage to move the whole wheel, which is kind of like their philosophy. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. Shit. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh man. Cause now I'm thinking of that, like that, the, the theosophists who have ascended, who have removed all their souls 
Like I'm looking at them as like some kind of a weird corrupted hive mind who are like mm-hmm. trying to put these pieces together because they think that they can see infinity, but it's like, they're entirely wrong about that. So they're just kind of like ripping apart souls for no reason. Basically they're, they're creating effectively their own hell in some way. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too, that like maybe as you remove your chakras, you, you do literally start to be able to see the gears of the world. Maybe you do see like this massive wheel kind of surrounding the globe or something as you mm-hmm. start to remove this, but they obviously don't understand the purpose at all and don't yeah don't really know what's happening. And and I was thinking too, like, are they just creating hell or are they seeing hell? Because mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. hell is the absence of all of these shockers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I found the quotes Archimedes who said yeah. this. But right. The extent of it is is give me a place to stand with and with a lever I will move the whole world. And I think that that you know there's so many ways to read that from an interpretive standpoint. Um, but here I think it's particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of um, Courtney. I was thinking about that idea of like. I like the idea that, again, we're we're looking at these people who have removed these parts of their souls and they're looking into infinity. And it's like, imagine that we're looking at a computer board, right? But the only tools that we have are like rocks. It's like, all right, we've got to make the computer work with the rocks that we have, right? Yeah. Like, that's effectively what I feel like they're trying to do is they're trying to move the levers of creation with the most rudimentary tools possible. You know, because they're that's just the level that they're operating at. Right. It's like a bunch of ants trying to like roll over a, a wheel, like a car wheel or something. Mm-hmm. It's like you mm-hmm. can't can't really do that. Oh, they'll be able to eventually given enough, you know, like given yeah. infinite time and infinite ants, it can happen. <laughs> yeah. But, and then they'll know. just crush themselves with the wheels. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a perfect <laughs> metaphor. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I really love that. Like the power of the, you don't understand the cosmic power of the wheel and it will crush you. And they just, that, yeah. they don't want to face that reality. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's <laughs> really good. That's great. Okay. Okay. We've got to, we've got to move on here. Cause we, this is a one parter remember. So we've got to do the twist and everything here. Mm-hmm. So real quick, let's go and go ahead and do our tenets again. Courtney, what was your first tenet? You started us off today. Yeah. Uh, mine is that like, art auctions on earth uh there's a major auction event that takes place in this world where the wealthy elite gather bid on most desirable souls uh and i'd, I'd say we definitely tie that into the whole setting mm-hmm. pretty well and i like how it ended up being part of this like mass conspiracy kind of thing i i feel like that was like definitely the bedrock of not mm-hmm. just the setting but also the aesthetic that i had in my mind too and like the possibility and the vibe yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was well integrated as well, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my first tenet was uh, when the soul is extracted, is it extracted into a mundane object, even though it's like a fantastical object? What I mean is like, it's not inherently mystical or magical in that way. Like you can't use it like a fireball or something like that. And yeah, I feel like we've done that pretty well. Um, I, I feel like it has different implications within the world itself. And I'm happy with how it's ended up. Mm. I had a um, nefarious school of theosophical psychics who collect soul stuff to reveal an underlying truth behind all religions, like a puzzle. And I think we've solved that. Yeah. Oh, we've <laughs> solved the puzzle, Daniel. Yes, you're absolutely yeah. correct. So, Courtney, what was your second tenet? 
It was sort of a half-baked tenet in that basically the, the souls are sort of just floating around and have to be like actively harvested or tempted or mm-hmm. captured in some way. And I, I like how that ended up being, you know, there's multiple ways to go about it. And yeah. uh, those can be associated with different factions in the world and might also yeah. have different like efficacy as far as how they work. Absolutely. Spirit photography, mass rituals, different books you got to read or, or just proton packs, you know, whatever you Mm -hmm. got. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my second tenet kind of was like two tenets, but very simply it was the magic school is evil. And again, considering the, the ant wheel crushing metaphor, we just got, I feel like (laughs) we've done a good job of explaining that quite well. Also, I love the, I love what we did with the magic school because it's not just like a Harry Potter school. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we're talking Madame Blavatsky here. Which I think is her- yeah, like it's super yeah. cool. I love what we did with that. Uh, so Daniel, what was your second tenet? What did you get with us there? The literal giant wheel of cosmic importance. Um, threatened <laughs> with destruction, yeah. which I think we accomplished. We've mm-hmm. integrated that well into the conspiracy, mm-hmm. into the setting. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And so with our tenets recapped, we now have to roll right into the twist for this particular episode. So our twist for this time is everyone has an animal companion. That is submitted by one Diplo Raptor, a patron of ours. So remember that if you want us to add your twist to the twist list, by all means, become a patron and you can have your twist on the show. So Everyone's got an animal companion now. What are we doing with this? Is it a physical animal companion? I'm thinking it's more of a metaphorical or perhaps a spiritual one. What are we thinking? How are we reconciling with the twist? Right away with the idea of like the soul oriented world and animal companions. That makes me think to um, the His Dark Materials books where everyone has a um, a A daemon animal companion and they can shapeshift while you're young but once you go through adolescence puberty they kind of solidify their form as an Mm. adult so maybe something like that could work here where everybody is born with like a a little soul companion Mm. and uh, maybe it's not like a literal you know animal that sits on their shoulder but maybe it is more of like a spiritual guide but could go in that direction a homunculus almost Mm. Ooh, a homunculus is kind of interesting because I'm also imagining that you might be able to create a homunculus out of like, oh, no, that would go against my own thing. Damn it. Okay, never mind. I had a thought that um, instead of saying everyone, I could see um, the theosophists in particular having these little demons created as a result of extracting all their soul bits. Yes, mm. that are similar yeah. to the materials Ooh. one, but they're evil. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That's great. Um, okay, okay, okay. Hold on. So, so I know that we've talked about the extraction bit, right? What if the theosophists aren't fully extracting these parts of their souls and they're crafting the homunculus or the daemon out of those soul pieces? So it doesn't ruin my tenet, which says that it becomes inert and mundane, but they're not doing that. They're not like fully extracting it. They're merely like taking the essence and like muting it into something that is a, that is a homunculus or daemon or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think the notion of them being accidental to the process might save you there because I almost feel like these things, if they seem to have some kind of astral quality to them, I almost Mm -hmm. feel like these things originate in the place that the wheels in and perhaps Mm -hmm. 
fudging with um, creating these objects in the way that theosophists do gives rise to their existence as a result. And because they don't seem to be desirable things, you know what I mean? These, these beings. And it, it would be interesting to have a devil on your shoulder from that yeah. other realm, you know, that's kind of urging you or ma manipulating you because at the end of the day, you're not supposed to be messing with destiny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can, can we pervert this twist just a little bit and say that when they're doing this, it's not that they're creating a companion, but something that's like trying to hunt them down or something like that. Like, cause that sounds kind of fun to me where it's like, Hey, I'm not creating an animal buddy. I'm creating a predator that's going to chase me throughout the astral realm or something like Ooh. that. Ooh, I'm thinking now that literally everyone does have one of these mm -hmm. things yep. that is basically like when your time is up on this particular plane, they come and collect you. And it's basically uh, like your own personal death uh, spirit. But with the, like you were saying, Rob, with this manipulation of the chakras and Daniel, like you were saying, it it does maybe strengthen it or sends it out sooner from mm. the wheel or something Ooh, like that. Yeah. I mean, we're basically subverting their whole process, right? Like if yeah. we're putting souls yeah. into objects, the person can't doesn't die in the traditional sense. And this is probably a problem for these creatures if that's their, <laughs> yeah. their messengers of this process, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that makes them antagonists fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And what you're doing as well, right? Like you're creating a near-death experience in a living body. And so this thing is going to come be like, yo, this is fucked up. I'm trying to do my job here, guys. But you're not like, you're kind of, you're, you're fucking with the process here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, you're exactly right, Daniel. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Courtney, both of you guys got it, but still. <laughs> yes, yeah, like the near-death experience, like maybe that is why they feel like they're being more enlightened as time goes on because it does mm. feel like a near-death experience each time they remove that part, that shocker from themselves. Like, the more they remove, the more of an ecstasy it is. But in um, reality, it literally is like death is coming closer to you. Like the mm, more you do this. Yeah. Well, and what you're saying blends into the impishness of them, because if their goal that they've expressed, the philosophical goal is to assemble all these pieces into a blimp's perfection from the M's perspective, they're going to get their souls back. So I can see them wanting yeah. to sit on the shoulder of this theosophist and tempt them further because it's like, sure, keep doing that. Because eventually I'm going to get you and all the pieces that you've stolen back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Feels yeah. like enlightenment, but is actually damnation. Like, I love that kind of like yeah. twist to it. That's really good. Oh, man, that's so fucking fun. Oh, mm -hmm. that's good. Okay. <sighs> it, also, it also makes me think of um, the tinctures in the Jack Vance novels. Um, and that, that's what the D&D's magic is based on. Mm -hmm. that the, they would capture these like imp-like creatures um, and, and trap them in the stones and then, you know, torment them to get their powers out of them. So this mm -hmm. is similar, except that these creatures are visiting you because you're messing with stuff you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. This is such yeah. a cool setting. All right. That's great. All right. Um, Okay, we've reconciled the twist. What a hell of an episode. What a great setting. I, I, I'm just thinking about all the possibilities for like a main storyline quest that we could be doing here, like a heist. Like I already said at the top, Ocean's Eleven, but with soul stuff. There's so much that you can do with here. So a big, big thank you to one JG for the first time submission for your prompt. And again, if you want us to build your world, build your prompt Go to our website, click the link, follow some instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. And of course, if you want two episodes instead of one for your prompt, 
You can get that by becoming a patron on our Patreon, along with other sorts of great patron-exclusive goodies. And uh, yeah, you can do that with the link in the description. We're also on social media, YouTube and Twitter. Uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, thank you very much. Click the like, subscribe button, all that good stuff. If you're over on Twitter, at Let's World Build, thanks for the follow. We appreciate you as well. And of course, if you want to talk to us more directly, we've got a Discord, so check the Discord out. Come chat with us about your world or just about anything in particular. doesn't really matter. It kind of matters. Just keep it, you know, appropriate. Anyway, with all of that out of the way, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together. Until next week. 